Paul in this passage is specifically talking to a ministry leader in Timothy and asking him to enter into, to think about, to hold true to a gospel view of suffering as he leads, as one who leads. And Paul is a major authority in this passage because he is one who has suffered and is writing from a place of suffering. Um, and if, uh, for those who may not know me, I, 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 my official kind of calling is, is to campus ministry, uh, and maybe even more particular, uh, black students. I'm the National Associate Director for Black Student Ministries, Black Campus Ministries is what it's called, for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, in my time, uh, in, in, in kind of the, I don't know, the 13, 15 years of ministry that I've had, um, I've been to about four or five countries, and so I've seen a lot of different suffering. This passage is very close to my heart, and I think significant for us, because we are those who are ministry leaders, who are, are trying to be in ministry, and there's a suffering that comes with that. And how we think about suffering, I think, is a significant word for us this morning. Let me pray, and then I'll jump into it. Jesus, thank you that you have suffered it all for us. And so, Lord, as we look at this, I ask that you would help me Help my soul to sit among my brothers and sisters, to receive from you, to learn from you, even as I speak, that I might be convicted all the same, and that we might be obedient to your call together, God. Lord, we recognize that your spirit is the most important presence in this room. Would it guide our hearts, sharpen our ears, and would it increase our capacity to love, God? In your name we pray, so be it, Lord. I wonder, have you ever thought, I'm pretty sure we all have thought about what suffering does. Uh, uh, suffering threatens your courage. It, it, it threatens your sense of security. Suffering is a threat to you, to us. At least it seems that way. And perhaps the goal of the enemy is to use suffering to deceive us into the despair of the abandonment of our Lord. But uh, Paul gives us hope in this section of his letter to Timothy. He gives us insight into three things I believe suffering is trying to do in Timothy's ministry life. Uh, the first is it threatens his faith. It threatens his faith. The second is it tries to persuade him to cowardice. Persuade him to cowardice. And lastly, it tries to poison him with shame. And so I wonder if we can learn something from Paul about overcoming suffering by looking at these three perspectives. First, it threatens Timothy's faith. Suffering threatens our faith. Paul begins to let it recall in Timothy's faith heritage. I'm pretty sure y'all saw that. Paul remembers that Timothy's faith was sincere, and the faith he saw in Timothy reminded him of the faith in his grandmother and, his, and, 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 and in Timothy's mother. And if you remember, the gospel is new, and there, but there is a kindred, a faith heritage that has already been established in Timothy's family. But Timothy's mentor, Paul, is in prison, and there is heresies infiltrating this community that he's been called to kind of handle. Um, 
And Timothy is not fully Jewish either. Timothy's uh, father, is, father is Greek and his mother is Jewish. Uh, so he, he is this biracial kid. And if you remember, between him and, uh, when, when Paul wants to take him um, on a missionary journey, he has to circumcise Timothy. And Timothy submits to that in order to reach Jews because he knew Jews would be in the place that he was going. And so you got to realize, his mentor, the one who, who has started this church, is in prison. And we know that for us in our time, the stigmas that come with prison. But there's a few things that, that, that might be surrounding Timothy's thoughts of Paul. One, there's the social outlook of Paul's imprisonment. Um, it's not a good look. Then secondly, Paul's well-being. How is Paul doing in this Roman prison? And this coupled with the issues that's going on in this church can be a very significant cause of suffering for this young leader. And Paul knows that Timothy's faith, the evidence that we see, Paul will only tell Timothy to rekindle uh, the gift in him because it is going out. It's low. The embers are low, but it's still there, but it's low. And this is how the enemy can use suffering. He can use it to disconnect us from our faith heritage and dim our faith. As I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about my dad. My dad was a part of the original promise. Like when Promise Keys was blowing up in the 90s, my dad was a part of it. Um, and in being a part of it, he would meet with brothers of different races. Like they intentionally met. They would come together and they would, uh, they would have uh, prayer meetings, and they would talk about what it would look like to, ha- to, to, to pursue racial reconciliation. My granny was a community activist. She loved Jesus and responsible for a lot of the revitalization in the lower-income neighborhood that I, that I, that I come from. Um, and I grew up with her doing different things to see the neighborhood better. My best friend, Charlie, uh, best friend in high school, the one uh, when I got in the most trouble I would go to, uh, he, me and him ended up parting ways when we were, uh, when, we were um, when we left high school. I went to college and I, I went, this, uh, went a certain way and God led me to do certain things. Um, but I got to visit him just recently. And it turns out uh, he's living um, in an urban poor area trying to plant a church that considers and honors the poor um, and considers the needs of the marginalized. And I, and I, was, I was talking, I was like, I, I think I, we're living kind of the same way. We're trying to do the same things. It, it was in college that I felt God lead me to the same calling as my dad, a call to reconciliation. In fact, when I got involved with the campus ministry I was involved in, uh, the, one of the first things I felt called to is to, to reach black men. And then somebody said, why don't you reach all men? I said, yeah, I can do that. And that uh, inherently uh, forced me to, like, think about this issue of reconciliation. It became a significant part of my life and to this day is a life calling. It's through my granny and being involved with the university urban programs that I now have a faith that must include justice. And it's with this heart, it's because of this heart that I live in a part of South St. Pete that I live in to be close to the marginalized like my friend Charlie. See, I don't, I, I don't say that to hold these up as accolades, but instead 
as evidence of a heritage of faith that's been in my life since I was young. And on my worst days, I remember that this is the heritage of faith I am part of. I am part of a faith, a faith that includes justice, that, that sees suffering and does something about it. And if I look more deeply into my heritage as an African-American man, I see that there's a heritage of people who hold fast to the hand of Jesus, even through suffering. And if I look even more deep, I see in Acts, I see the, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. This is where my faith began. This is where the, the, the faith in Jesus found its way into Africa. And that is my, my heritage, go all the way back to that. And all of us, our heritage weaves its way all the way back to the suffering of Christ on the cross. Our heritage is important. Everyone has a spiritual lineage that is part of their faith journey, a long line of people and prayers and suffering that is part of their story. The underground has a faith heritage that goes back all the way to the Philippines. Some of us know this firsthand. We've been there. We saw a church in the U.S. that 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 somehow had submitted to the systems of the world. We saw a church in the U.S. that was falling into the trap of submitting to the dark side of capitalism and politics and racism and other social systems and said, we said, no more. We cannot be that. We cannot stand for that. God has called us to something more. We saw a church that had forgotten the poor. We knew God was calling us to something more. And so we went to our brothers and sisters in the Philippines those who had looked like the church in Asia, and we learned from them. This is where our heritage goes back to. This is the heritage of the community you're a part of. And if we remember back then, the things that we did when we couldn't really describe the underground. If you asked us what was the underground when we were two years in, you would get strange looks, and you would hear a lot of, ah, Do y'all meet uh, every second Saturday? Which Saturday in the month? Second? We, we, we were so strange then. And I think we need to remember that in our heritage, that we were supposed to be strange. This is your heritage. What is your personal heritage of faith? It means something. What is the heritage and faith of your microchurch? What has God done? What has been the lineage of faith that has led to your microchurch reaching those who need to know Jesus? What has been passed down to you that you should not forget? It will be part of what God uses to overcome suffering's threat. When suffering comes and it threatens to dim your faith, look at your heritage and see the power of God and let that infuse your faith. Let it rekindle your faith. And instead of suffering, dimming our faith, our heritage will increase our own faith. Second, suffering persuades us, suffering wants to persuade us to cowardice. Suffering wants to persuade us to cowardice. In verse 6, Paul lets Timothy know that because of the heritage of faith that he is sure lives in him, he should rekindle the gift of God that is in him. We see that because Paul is sure of the faith that was in, that is in Timothy. 
he asked him to rekindle the gift of God that is in him. This is where Paul gets a little bit more specific about Timothy's faith. And he talks about the gift of the Spirit that was confirmed by Paul's laying of hands on him. This is the gift of the Spirit that was confirmed in him. And he reminds Timothy the Spirit of God in him is one of power, love, and self-discipline, not a spirit of cowardice. And I believe in Paul telling this to, Tim- to Timothy, we see that this is a deception of suffering. That we will believe in cowardice more than the power of God. In other words, that we would believe it is easier to hide from suffering rather than go through it holding the hand of God. And this is a strong temptation for any leader who has suffering around them. And Paul's encouragement to Timothy is that the solution to suffering's temptation towards cowardice is the spirit of God in him. The spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Everything Timothy needs in order to lead well. This is the gift of God to him in his suffering. Everything he needs to navigate suffering is in him. I was in South Africa not too long ago. Uh, so South Africa is very special to me. If you heard my story, you know that uh, South Africa is where I had my lordship moment. But I went to South Africa. Uh, I was in a in the varsity. The campus ministry is part of a global network called World Assembly, um, and it consists of a, uh, representatives from 170 different country, countries. They come together and hear about what God is doing around the world in campus ministry. Um, in South Africa, we were on this resort-type place. And in this place, there's these roads that, uh, that kind of go from your, whatever, uh, lodging to, like, the main place. And around this place, you just feel like you're walking through the Serengeti. Like, the, the African leaders there was like, welcome to the bush. And I was like, I don't know about that, man. Don't welcome me to the bush. The bush sounds dangerous. <laughs> and so... Every, I, I spent a, a good amount of time with one of my colleagues named, uh, colleague and friend, uh, Jamel. Jamel is a funny dude. He's an African-American man. Um, we, I love hanging out with him, but every now and then something unique would happen. We would be walking down this path, and y'all got to realize, monkeys was running around like, it, like they were squirrels. Uh, <laughs> mongoose were like... No, monkeys are more like raccoons. And then mongoose was the squirrels. Like, they were just everywhere. They, it, it was all these, it was just a different place. So every now and then, here's what we knew. We, we would see these deers, right, walking around. And what would happen is we would be walking, right, and we'd be talking, and, and one of us would, like, look really close at the bushes, right? Now, the other one would see him looking. What do you think would happen next? Without skipping a beat. They would not look where he's looking. They're like, what, what's over there? What's over there? Like, we were both ready to run. That happened to both of us. There's something on the inside of black folk. I don't know where there's something on the inside of black folk. When it's time to run, we don't need to see what the reason we're running. We just need to see... That somebody motivated. <laughs> and it went, none of, neither one of us like just took off. It was like we looked at the person's eyes and we just kept like, what, what's over there? Like, we just getting ready, like, is it, is it time? 
One time he, he, one time I got up to a trot because he was looking, he was like, wait, wait, what? I was like, wait, 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 what, what? And he was like, oh, I thought it was a turtle. I'm like, you got to say that. You got to say it was a turtle because I'm seeing zebra. I'm seeing deer. I'm like, there's something to eat those. So if I need to get away, I need to know. Me and him had a laugh as we talked about uh, being in our neighborhood and riding bikes. Riding bikes and dogs. So, right? Dogs. So, if you've been in a neighborhood like mine, folks don't care about closing their fences and putting their dogs inside. Well, people, a lot of people didn't have their dogs inside. Or they didn't close their gates. And so, there would always be the random dog that would just jump out and scare the heck out of you. Right? Now, what is the MO for a dog chasing you when you're on your bike? Who knows? Who can tell me the MO for when a dog is chasing you on your bike? What do you do first? Scream. I said, some people say scream, right? Where is screaming going to get you? So the, the first thing you do is you pedal really fast. Like you go fast. You, you go, you, you scream and pedal fast. We pedal fast. So, uh, and then what do you do? You kick at it. So this is a man, this is a white man from Dover. You kick at it, right? That's my boy. I can say it. Why remember Dover says kick at it? Me and Jamel know when we ride in a big uh, 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 pure butt pit is on one side who can lock onto your leg, you would pedal. If it caught up with you, you, slow, you, you jump that bike and you just got on that one side and let it stay. <laughs> and you ride like that. You try, but you don't want to lose your bike because your mom ain't going to get you no new bike. That ain't going to happen. So you just put that leg on one side and you try to make sure you're going... And we both, we both had the same final, like, final technique for getting away from a dog. It was that if it caught up to you and there was no way you could get away, you jump that bike and you just let your momentum carry you into an all-out sprint. <laughs> both of us had the same exact technique story. <laughs> Something on the inside <laughs> was just in us to run. Does that even make sense for this? <laughs> there was something on the inside that came out during trouble, right? Paul reassures Timothy <laughs> that even in suffering, there's something on the inside. It is the Spirit of God in him, on the inside, working through him. You see, it's not. So, so for the Christian, it's not that suffering is like a problem for us. The problem of suffering in the world is actually not a problem for us because the, the, the person who has given his life to Jesus has the indwelling Spirit in him. And so everything that we need to go through suffering is on the inside of us. Those who have the indwelling Spirit of God cannot be cowards. Only to be, we can only be deceived to believe that we are. Because the spirit in us does not cower, does not hide. Suffering has no power against the spirit of God. And so we have this, where suffering threatens Timothy's faith. Paul says, remember, remember your heritage of faith. Where suffering persuades Timothy, to, tries to persuade Timothy towards cowardice, Paul says, remember the spirit you were given. 
And that's my word for you, to remember the spirit you were given. As you remember your faith heritage, remember the spirit you were given, what is on the inside. Lean into the voice of God on the inside. Y'all, we will get, the underground will give you tools, methods, strategy, all that. But when suffering comes, lean into what's on the inside, the spirit of God. And lastly, maybe the most critical thing suffering does is poison us with shame. A lot of y'all talked, a number of y'all talked about this, but one of the major themes in this passage is one of shame. You see, Timothy has these believers he is leading who have so much problems calling him, causing him to suffer. And then his mentor is in prison. And we know the sickness of that. In this shame-based culture, Timothy will have had to feel some type of deep shame. And maybe even some regret. Maybe he is not, is not out of this world to say that he may have been feeling under underqualified for what he's been called to do. But Paul, Paul is a interesting and weird character in this passage. If you really read this passage, understand that he's in prison, that he's writing to Timothy, he has all these heresies that's surrounding him. Um, the way Paul talks to Timothy is very interesting. First, Paul says, uh, if we look at in verse 8, Paul says he is Jesus's prisoner. Paul is in a Roman prison, but says, I'm Jesus's prisoner. Then in verse 11 and 12, where he could give Timothy a sound argument for why he is in jail or at least an update of his general well-being, he instead makes sure Timothy knows he is suffering because he is called. Called by God. And this, and he says this isn't He's saying this isn't something to be ashamed of because it is, he calls it holy and in the purposes and grace of God. Y'all, it's a, it is as if prison means nothing to Paul. Nor does he care about social perspective of his imprisonment. I believe Paul is trying to help Timothy understand a foundational piece of his faith. That there is actually no shame in the kingdom of God. There is no shame in the kingdom of God. Because your life is his. And this is where the authority of Paul is very, very significant for us, those who want to do ministry in the U.S. who have privilege and so many things to lean on. Paul, one who has been stripped of all rights, rights from a place where he's been stripped of all rights and freedom, and yet feels significantly a freedom that is real. This is the, the end of Paul's life. Paul has literally been rejected, and suffered to the point of death. It was in near Iconium where, where, where Paul goes in and, 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 and preaches and they think he's a god and then uh, and the people want to like call him one of the gods and, and then these, these Jews who, who don't believe in Jesus come in and rouse the people up and turn them against Paul um, 
and they stoned him. And it says he was as if dead. And then disciples come and pray over him, and he gets back up. Goes back into the same city that stoned him. Paul has suffered to the point of death, but has been delivered. What happens when you've experienced something like that? There is no place for shame when it comes to his calling. There's no place of shame when when he finds himself in jail because of the testimony of Jesus. I believe this reality is what happens when we place our complete trust in Jesus. Shame loses its potency. I talked about South Africa. I went to South Africa in 2002 where I was on a mission trip, and I knew I would have to share the gospel. I don't know if you can remember the first time you thought about sharing the gospel, but I'm with Irby. It was pretty terrifying. I, I, was, I was a freshman in college. And I would had no idea what to do necessarily. I'm, I'm the kid who raised his hand every day of vacation Bible school to receive the Lord. And so I knew what it sounded like to, to, to say the prayer. But, like, how do you share this gospel with somebody? And, and, and we all know, speaking in front of people in general, folks, folks feel a lot of way about that. But I had to go to this place. And y'all, it, it, it felt horrifying. I, I remember praying. It was a, it, my prayer life up this game when I had to go to, when I knew I was going to have to share the gospel. And I was just praying, Lord, give me the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Give me the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Something happened, though. The more I shared the gospel, the less shame I felt. It just got easier. One time we were in, we had just did a clinic, so I, we played basketball and shared the gospel. So we had just did a clinic for all these kids. There's like 200 kids running around, um, around us. And then the, the, uh, uh, the person leading was like, somebody got to share the gospel. I'm like, what? With all like 200 kids surrounding us? Um, and uh, I go, I guess I will. And somehow a story about me and my brother finding a mango tree in the bushes. quieted them kids, and they listened, and I don't even know how I connected the gospel to it, but I connected the gospel to it, and some kids gave their life to Jesus in that moment. And y'all, the significant thing about that moment is not that the gospel got easier. Not only did it get more comfortable, but I actually wanted to share the gospel. There was no shame or worry left in me because my heart was connected to something greater. I believe Paul's experience has led him to this place. You see, shame is the result of disappointing that what's most important to your heart. When the Lord's affections are the most important thing to your heart, we are not ashamed by the sufferings of this world. And in fact, our suffering allows us to participate in the grace of of Jesus that turns that has turned suffering into life and immortality. This is what Jesus has done. So though instead of those who are poisoned by shame, we should be those who trust in something greater in this world. And I think that is a challenge for us to recognize that we are in this world 
definitely in it, but not of it. That though there are things that should cause shame because Jesus, because God is our greatest affection, we should not feel it. And for some of us, that means that we just need to step in those risky places where we see shame and we want to cower away. We need to step into those places and allow God to rid us of shame. For some of us, those places are hard. Those places are places where you've experienced abuse. Those places are places where you've been rejected. And God is saying, go, go to that place. I want to rid you of that shame. Some of you have been running from saying yes to Jesus. And he's saying, come with me. I know you don't know scripture as well as, as you wish you did. You don't feel like a professional Christian, but I'm asking you to come. And I will, I will show you how to live without shame. Worship team, you can come up. Suffering deceives us or wants to deceive us, if you allow me to personify suffering. But in Jesus, suffering has no power. In fact, it has been repurposed for life in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And this is why a suffering Paul can write to Timothy in his young leadership and say this phrase, which I think it is a phrase that Paul himself coined. It's not found in other places in the Bible. It's a unique phrase that Paul um, himself coined. And so he can look at this young leader with all these issues swirling around him, this young leader in, the, in, a, in a young church movement, a young Jesus-following movement that, that where martyrdom is threatening, this young movement where Jews are trying to reconcile with Gentiles and all that comes with that, he can look at this leader and look at his own life and realize he's in chains and realize that they are those who are leaving him because of his situation. He can look at this leader with all that is going wrong and say, look, suffer with me. Come suffer with me. Suffer with me. The grace of suffering is that it persuades you to rightly depend on something more grand than this world. Let me put it more specifically. The grace of suffering for the kingdom of God. The grace of suffering for our Father, for Jesus. The grace found in that is that we rightly depend on him. And we live shame-free lives. Man, I took my son, Timothy, and Langston. So Langston is three, and he's going to pre-K. My son is special needs. He has some developmental delays. He's free. He's not really talking right now. When he walks, his neck is like in his shoulder, and he like hobbles. <laughs> and that's, but he's come a long, long way. A strong kid. Resilient kid. But that's his mama's baby. He's going to pre-K, and so we got a chance to take him to school, to the school that he's going to be attending. And you know what surprised me? Uh, the protocols that they had in place. There are now protocols for gunmen that might show up on the campus. Like, every class had it. This is like the educational landscape that my kid is going into. This special needs, vulnerable kid. And that was troubling. 
There was something that the teacher said that made me feel a little bit at ease, though. That she showed us this is what we do. This is a protocol. She said, but look, I got a little kid also who's special needs. And it, the, the class is small. It's only three kids that's in this class. And she said, look, if I get word that the government is, 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 is over there, I'm going to put these kids in this wagon, and I'm going to wheel them out of here. And we're going to go down the street to that donut shop. I said, yes, Lord. Take my kid to the donut shop if there's somebody crazy on campus. Can you imagine that scene? Gunmen on campus, newspaper people out there giving them reports. There's a gunman on campus. Look at there. There's a, a teacher trotting with three kids who don't seem to have a care in the world. And now they have parked there and landed themselves at a donut shop. The kids are eating munchkins and they're safe. I never want that to happen, by the way, but it does tickle me to think about that. But in this world of suffering, we are like children being pulled by God through danger. We are like children being pulled by God through danger who don't need to have a care in the world because we know the one who pulls the wagon. And so my word for you is, as you go into this new ministry, why don't you just enjoy the ride? Let suffering come. Let's just enjoy the ride. We cannot die. Shame has been scorned. And after all, we headed towards donuts. Amen. And so let's suffer with each other. This beautiful dream we've been given by God called the underground, we cannot force it no more than we can force a dream to happen. But I got to believe that it is God's dream for us that we find ourselves in. And we need to just enjoy the ride. And this requires you, as you go, to just give your full self. That's doubts, give your doubts. If that's habitual sin, give it to Jesus. Bring it all. Give it to him. Go. Come on. Let's suffer with each other. And as we come to the table, this table is a place where those who love Jesus commit once again to suffer with him. So I'm going to ask that the that you come into this table, that you would not come alone. I'm actually going to ask that you come with someone. And that coming with someone is you committing to suffer together. Amen. So we believe that on the night 
he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, eat in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink, drink in remembrance of me. Praise God. He allows us to suffer with each other. And as we do that, we come into the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. In this, in this way, we see a world rid of shame. When you are ready with someone to say, I'm ready to suffer with the body and blood of Jesus. Amen.